So uh, anyway, um, why was I talking about that? I, I just thought I'd tell you I like Tarzan. Uh, I don't know. We've been talking about Noah's Ark, and I always thought, you know, Noah's kind of a neat character, but he was no Tarzan. Uh, Tar- Tarzan had that, like, leopard skin speedo and, and the knife, and, you know, he fought with the animals. Noah was like, you know, the animals come to him. I, I, I wish I thought Noah was, maybe it was because Noah wasn't buff, or maybe he was. Maybe he was 600 years old and just ripped, but um, I don't know. I, and maybe it was because I heard the story of Noah so many times when I was a little kid, I didn't get excited about it. In fact, I remember uh, when I worked at, at summer camp, I used to, when I'd have Christian schools come in, one of my favorite things to do was talk to them about Noah because they would just like, <sighs> if sixth graders, Christian school, most of them been going to church their whole life, I'd say, okay, today I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Noah. And they'd all be like, oh my gosh, <sighs> like dying, like, that's at the front of the Bible, that's for babies. You know, and they, and, I, and what I found was a lot of them didn't really know the story. They knew the storybook version, but they didn't uh, really know the story. And so, uh, anyway, uh, while Noah might not be as cool as Tarzan, I think there are far better lessons in the uh, story of Noah than in the story of Tarzan. In fact, I know there are better lessons in the story of Noah than in the story of Tarzan. Uh, We're in chapter 8, Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. Oh, if you've got your Bible, assume the position. All right, let me see your swords. That side won. It wasn't a competition, but if it was, they won. I lose at a lot of things at my house because I didn't know it was a competition. I lost coming to church today. I came in the door and Eden's at the top of the stairs. I beat you! Yeah, I beat you. That was very big in my house growing up. You, you said, I beat you, not I win you. I win you. Because that's what you said. I win. I win you. I won you. I'm not a prize. No, you're not. <laughs> All right, so where were we? Oh, yes, verse 1. Verse 1. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. Now, God didn't forget. God wasn't like, where did I put those guys? Oh, look, the earth's flooded. Now, what was I doing there? What's that over there? Oh, I remember that snow. <laughs> this is a, what they call anthropomorphism. It's when, the, you, when God is, for our understanding, given uh, human qualities. And it's, it's not that God forgot and then he remembered, but it's saying that, um, and sometimes we, 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 um, we read the Bible. This is one of those things you have to be careful about is that when we read the Bible, that we read it in light of what the words meant at the time it was translated, um, especially if you read like the King James Bible, because then there's some things that the English words mean a lot different, a lot, very different things than they used to. Things like, um, if you read in King James, um, Goliath had a target between his shoulders. You think, a target? What? He had a target? But it actually means javelin, but the, the name actually changed the, word, the uh, English word, uh, means something different than it used to. But anyway, when it talks about God remembering, it's not that God forgot, but it's saying God remembered him. God never forgets. God remembered him. Um, it wasn't like he was out there all alone. Now, one thing I did mention last time was that God spoke to Noah a lot prior to building uh, the ark and prior to getting on. But once he got on, uh, there's no record of God speaking to him. And yet, even though God had, uh, was silent in Noah's life at this time, and we go through those seasons sometimes where we don't hear 
uh, don't seem to hear from the Lord, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten you, um, just like we see here. Even though uh, God is not speaking to Noah at this time, God has not forgotten him. God remembered Noah and every living creature. Uh, it says, The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the, tenth day, or on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. God, I pray that as we look at your word today, I pray that uh, you would lead us toward truth, that you would speak to people's hearts, that those that are here today that are really going through some difficult things with great questions in their minds and great, great question marks upon their life, that, uh, that this would be something that would be a blessing to them and that they would be comforted and encouraged by your word today. And Father, uh, we want to thank you for all that you do for us and for blessing us so much. We want to pray for Holly and all the little kids uh, in their class and the big kids in their class that you would bless them, that you would teach them things, and that those young people would have a passion and an excitement for you. And we pray those things in your holy and precious name. Amen. So the ark rested on the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. What's interesting is the seventh month at this time was the month uh, of Nisan, and, um, and that would be the 17th day. And what's interesting is the 14th day of Nisan was the Passover. And what happened three days after the Passover? Well, the uh, people of Israel passed through the Red Sea. But not only that, Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Nisan, which means he rose from the grave on what day? Oh, you guys are faster counters than me. The 17th. And so it's an amazing thing. When you start to read through the Bible and you look for this day, you'll see that there's dates in, in Jewish history that are uh, famous and infamous. There's, um, uh, there's, there's a, a certain day that if you look out throughout history, there's been major tragedies in the, for the Jewish people over and over and over throughout history. And then you've got uh, this day, the, um, the 17th of Nisan, that, that shows up being a great day of victory. Uh, it's the day that, that Ruth, or I'm sorry, rather Esther, um, went into the king and made, that, uh, made that, uh, that decision to go into him and say, um, if you know the story, uh, the people of Israel had been condemned to death by a guy named Haman, and uh, the king had put his stamp of approval not knowing that his wife was a Jew, and uh, when the word came out, uh, she didn't know quite what to do, and uh, she decided to pray and fast for three days, and then she went in to see the king. And if you came into the king uninvited, you could be killed. Um, that was their law at the time, but he recognized her. And so she risked her life. Um, she laid down her life for her nation. Um, and so, again, you see a salvation story. Um, so it's kind of a neat thing uh, in the Bible when you see this. And sometimes you have to kind of really dig and do the math to find the days. Um, but this day shows up uh, a number of times, at least seven times in the scripture. All right, so let's see uh, here in verse 6. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also went, or sent out for himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent a dove out from the ark, and the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. 
So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, bird and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, so went out of the ark. Now, I went back and I read the story of Noah again because I was thinking, you know what, I've heard the story a lot of times, but I want to make, I want to make sure that I didn't miss something. One of the things that, that stuck out to me as I read it this time was this, this one little detail about the story of Noah, and that is that God sometimes gave Noah lots of information, and sometimes he gave Noah a little bit of information. But what we see about Noah is whatever bit of information God gave him, Noah did it. If God said, do all these things, he did all these things. If God said, do this one thing, he did that one thing. Noah got on the ark, he stayed on, he waited until God said, time to get off. And then he got off. Regardless of the amount of information that he got, Noah obeyed God. And, and this is kind of one of those things I think we need to understand about our life, is that God doesn't always give you the whole story. Actually, I don't think God has given anybody the whole story of their life. Sometimes he gives you a vision of something that's going to happen in the future. Sometime in the future, you have this calling in your life that you know at some point you're going to do this, but you don't know how you're going to get there. For example, in my life, I knew when I was probably, oh, between 19 and 21, I knew that I was going to be doing this, but I didn't know how I was going to get here. I thought there was a certain path I was supposed to take. It made sense if you were going to be a pastor that you would go to seminary or Bible college, that kind of thing. But God sent me to horse training school because apparently I'm not smart enough to go to grown-up people's school. I had to go to school for animals. Um, but there, that, that was the path he took me. And even when I was there, I remember praying and saying, God, what, what am I going to do? If I'm going to be getting to this point, how do I get to this point? And God was showing me one step at a time. But he'd show me the, the final destination. This is where I'm taking, well, maybe the final destination. It kind of worries me now. And I'm like, oh, I was never worried before. When I knew someday I was, but uh, anyway, um, I knew that was coming. But God was showing me these steps. I remember praying about, God, where do you want me to go to school? And the impression God put upon my heart was, don't wait till you go to school to learn the Bible. Start learning it now. And so that's what I did. I'd get my Bible open. I, I've told you this before. I left it in the middle of my floor because I wasn't married and I was allowed to do that back then. Left it in the middle of my floor. So when I walked in my house, I'd be like, oh, there's my Bible. I had to read that. And I'd have my notebook and I got a, mar a Bible with wide margins on it. And I'd write all my stuff in there. And, 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 I, and it wasn't just I'm going to read a chapter, but I said, I want to understand these books. I want to I know what this is about. And so that became kind of my, my evening mission every night when I got home from um, got in from work, I'd go in and I would, I would do that because that was God's step. 
Now, it, it didn't make sense. It makes sense to me now. I look back and I go, oh, I see what God was doing. I see how God used that situation and the next situation. And it was preparation for the next thing, which was preparation for the next thing. But God didn't say, this is how it's going to work. You're going to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And then this will happen. Yay! Because that requires no faith from us. God will oftentimes show you something far off. And I, I always like the story like this. You see, he shows you a little house way off in the distance and says, that's your house. And you go, oh, goody. And you start heading to it, toward it. And he says, no, you're going this way. And so you go that way. And, in, and you end up taking this huge, long journey when you say, I could just go straight up the road to the house. And you go back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And finally you get there and you realize that the doorway to the house is this wide. And you went on a very long walk and lost a whole lot of weight. But if you would have gone straight there, you wouldn't have been able to get in. You wouldn't have been properly prepared to, for that thing that God had for you. And so sometimes God gives us that picture or that calling. He says, you're going to be, this is what I've called, this is what I've put upon your heart, a missionary. Or I've, I want you to, to work with, um, with children. Or I want you to, to do hospice care, whatever. And you're like, well, I'm 12. Sometimes then God will give you this one little step. He'll say, do this one thing. And a lot of times what we try to do is we're like, we try to figure it all out. Well, I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see. And what oftentimes is people wait until they see how it's going to work before they do it. And then they never do it because they never see how it's going to work. God told the, uh, the people of Israel when they passed into the promised land, there was the uh, Jordan River. And he said, You're gonna, I'm going to back up the river. I'm gonna, he's going to pile it up. He said, but we're gonna cr- you're going to cross it with your people. But how, the way it's going to work is the priests are going to take the ark and they're going to have it upon their shoulders and they're going to walk. And when the priests step into the water, then the water's going to back up. But it's not until they took the step that the water's back up. He said, you just step in. Well, I don't see how that's going to work. How are the, is there a bunch of beavers going to knock down trees and dam it up? Or how's that going to work? No, they just had to step in. They had to trust God. God said, do it. They did it, and then God showed up. God speaks, we respond, God shows up. So, most of the time in our lives, you're going to find that God reveals to you one step at a time. And if God has revealed to you the step he wants you to take, take it. Take it. A lot of times what happens is people keep praying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's already told you what to do. But they want the next five steps. And they keep praying, God, what do I do? And he's like, just do this. I don't know. Just do this. Because you've got to take that step before you can do the next one. That's the one that's going to get your foot in the door. That's the one that's going to put you in a situation where you meet that new person or, that, or you, you uh, learn that new skill that's going to be that next thing you need. God knows you don't. Your job is just to do what God tells you to do. When God says, take that step, do it. Noah was called to do a job. God had a divine purpose for his, for his life. And God has one for you. I love in the book of Jonah, if you read the book of Jonah, it says God prepared a fish. Because Jonah was disobedient and he got uh, thrown into the ocean and the fish swallowed him. But the fish didn't just magically appear. God prepared that fish. So for a long time prior, God was preparing this fish, apparently making sure lots of food came its way so it could grow to the proper size and be in the proper place at the proper time. And I figure if God is that concerned about a fish, uh, God is far more concerned about you and me. And so God has a divine purpose for your life. And so the questions are these. Do you want to know what it is? Do you know what it is? I mean, if you already know what it is, praise the Lord. Um, but a lot of people, um, 
I found this. A lot of people don't want to know what it is because they're afraid that it's going to be something they don't want to do. Um, but really, the question comes down to this. Do you want to do what God has designed you, prepared you, and has planned for you to do? Do you want to do it? Because here's what it all comes down to. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? At some point, you have to humble yourself completely before the Lord and say, Lord, I will go and I will do whatever you ask me to do. At some point, you have to say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do. I will go and I will do whatever you ask me to do. A few years ago, a pastor at a church I was at uh, had, a, had this outreach program he wanted to do to the community. And uh, the plan was for everybody in the church to start praying for one person and then invite that person to their house, do whatever they could to make an opportunity for them to invite that person to church. That was the goal. Um, but there was a Bible study group at the church that got together every week, and they misunderstood what they were being asked to do. They thought they were being asked to go and knock on doors in town and invite people. And they wrote a note to the pastor, and they said, the pastor, we, are, we want to support this idea that you have. We'll do whatever we can to support it, but we will not knock on doors. And I was like, he told me that. I was like, oh, somebody needs to go knock on some doors. We need to go tell that group, hey, um, guess what we're doing today? We're knocking on doors. Because what, what they were saying was, we're willing to do anything for God except for this one thing. That's a scary thing. That's a scary thing to say, God, I'm, I'll do anything for you but this one thing. What you're saying is, that thing I put above you. Whatever it was, knocking on doors, is scary. But what you find when you actually knock on people's doors, because we've done this with youth group kids, those people are more scared of you. They're like, what are you doing on my porch? And you're like, hello. They're like, hi. And after a while, it's not so scary. But uh, anyway, are you willing to do what God calls you to do? If you want to know what God's designed you to do, his divine purpose for your life, the number one thing is you have to be willing to do it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I shared this with, um, with the youth group on Wednesday, and it just keeps coming up in my life. keeps coming up. And it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, the first line in there, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means you lay down your life, your will, while you're still alive to the Lord. And you say, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. My life is yours. The sacrifice doesn't argue. It's a sacrifice. The sacrifice says, I'm yours. Do what you want with me. And so that's the first thing. If we want to, uh, if we want to have the last part, which was where he says, you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, other versions translate that, that you will know what is that good and perfect, uh, good, acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want to know what God's will, for is your will is for your life, if you say, God, I want to know what you want me to do, what you want me to do for school, for my job, with my friends, for with my life, I want to know. Well, the first thing is, if you want to know, first thing on the list is offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Total submission to him. If you're not willing to do it, if you're not willing to go, don't be surprised when you don't hear God's call upon your life. Don't be surprised if God doesn't reveal his will to you if you're not willing to do it. 
And I would say that the reason most people don't know the will of God, what the will of God is for them is because they are not willing to do whatever the Spirit leads, regardless of the cost. Now, it doesn't end there. That was just the first part, willingness. The next part is action. And the first thing he says, as far as the action part, is he tells us what not to do. He says, do not be conformed to the world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So first one is do not be conformed to the world. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Be willing to go. Number two thing, number two thing, don't be conformed to the world. So what does that mean to be conformed to the world? So I have a little test for you. You can take this test in your mind. Don't take it for someone else you know. That's not fair. No taking it for your spouse. You must take it yourself. Here's the questions you must answer right now. In your heart, in your mind, here are the questions. What are your desires, hopes, and dreams? What are your desires, hopes, and dreams? What are the things when you're in bed at night, laying there and you can't sleep, and you start thinking? Or if you're in um, government class, U.S. government, or you're in chemistry, When your mind goes to that place, when your eyes focus past the walls and the drool comes. What are those things that you think about, you fantasize about, you dream about, about your, you know, about your future in your life? What are those things? Are they about financial prosperity? Are they about getting the uh, promotion, the raise? Are they about uh, having the stuff? Is it about gaining power and influence over others? Is it about getting the promotion? Or is it about being elected to a position? Or is it about being um, in that, uh, that place where you have control? Is it about power, personal power? Is it about uh, garnering fame and acclamation? Is it about you receiving your Academy Award and thanking all the little people and Jesus? Is it about being uh, glorified yourself or being famous or being admire, admired above all others? You know, that was the devil's sin. We read about uh, Satan's fall. It was that he wanted to be uh, exalted above all others. And oftentimes what we find is that's what we want, is we want to be admired by others. Um, maybe it's gaining the eye of the opposite sex. Maybe um, the desire of your heart, that thing that you dream about and think about is, is uh, pleasure, fun, comfort, entertainment. The problem with all those kind of things is that those are selfish things. Those are, um, if those are the things you're seeking, your focus is on your own existence. And if these are the things you're working for and you're fighting for and dreaming about, you've been conformed to the world. These are, the thing, these are all the things the world says are important. Uh, prosperity, power, popularity, and pleasure. Those are the biggies. Those are the ones that the world says these are the things you need. And if you find that the focus of your heart, the desires of your life, the, uh, the total of your checkbook comes out to, to pointing to these things, then you need to watch out because you've been conformed to the world. You have the world's values and not God's. And so the great thing about our God is when he says don't do something, don't be conformed to the world, he says then... Instead, he tells us what to do. So here is the do's. Do not be conformed to the world, but the do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
I started thinking about this actually yesterday, and, and this, this really struck me uh, in a way that I never had before. In, in the past, whenever I thought about renewing your mind, I've always, and I've always told people, you want to renew your mind, fill your mind with the things of God. Turn on spiritual songs and, and listen to, to music that has a message about, about the Lord. Uh, be in prayer. Oh, fill your mind with God's word. Listen to sermons during the week. Whatever. Fill your mind with, with God's things. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, there's more to it than that. Uh, when you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Jesus, um, we, you were born again. The Bible tells us that. And our sins were washed away. We were forgiven. We were proclaimed righteous. And yet sometimes what happens is even though people know that, they, that the Bible says they're a new creation in Christ, their mind has not been renewed. The way they think is the same way they've always thought in the past. Their mindset is me, 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 me. And we need to recognize that we need a renewed mind. We need to recognize that we don't know what's best that, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right decision is. And we need to ask God. In fact, James 1.5, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, I love that, if you lack wisdom. The scary thing is you're going to find people that um, probably read that and don't think that applies to them. They know plenty of other people that are knuckleheads, and they're like, well, I'm okay. I'm not like them. But this is what what I think he's saying is we need to recognize that we are unable to make the right decisions. We don't know what the right decisions are. That we need God's wisdom, not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of our Heavenly Father. But unfortunately, many of us don't ask. We just kind of try to figure it out on our own. But we need to. We need to say, God, I don't know the right way. I don't know what... I'm supposed to do. I don't know what the next step is. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Now I need to know what it is. I need to know, God, what you want me to do. And we need to ask in, in confidence, uh, expecting God to give us an answer. A lot of people uh, ask, but when the answer doesn't come in their time frame, they do their own thing. They're like, okay, God, I've got to make a decision about this problem. I really need to know. I'm willing to do whatever you want. And then they're like, amen, i got to make a decision, I'm not going to answer. And so they just go. They just make a decision. Rather than being like Noah, who opened the window, took off the cover of the ark, and then apparently waited until God said, okay, now it's time to go. He could have looked out and been like, okay, the bird came back, brought me a leaf, we're set, let's go. But he knew that God told him to get into that ark. And I think that Noah was the kind of guy that said, this is where God told me to be, and I'm not moving until God tells me to go to the next place. And God said, get out. Okay, I'm getting out. And so we need to ask in confidence and not have that attitude like, well, God didn't uh, answer, so I'm going to have to make the decision myself. Far too often um, we don't expect the answer, and we need to expect guidance when we ask God for it. We, um, and again, guidance often comes one step at a time. And far too often, we want the whole big picture. How is this going to work? How is this going to work? And all God says, I just want you to go over there and talk to that guy. Well, that doesn't make sense. I need to know where to go to college. Go over there and talk to that guy. Uh, my wife, um, the way I met her, I was working at, a, uh, at the vocational college I graduated from, and she went to college there, and so that's how I met her. But the way that she got there was one of her 
friends who they had not seen in a long time came to their house and said, I was praying and I had this brochure for this college and I felt like God was telling me that I should come and give it to you. And her mom looked at it and her dad looked at it and she looked at it and she said, that's where I'm supposed to go. Now, what if that one person would have been like God says to them, hey, um, got this brochure here. I want you to go and give it to the Patton family. And they, and they were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why should I give them some dumb old brochure? Man, my life would stink right now. One step, little steps, and they don't always make sense. But the great thing about this is when we get this, when God says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, when we say, I'm willing to do whatever you say to do, regardless of the cost, when we say, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to be conformed to the world, I'm not going to fall into this, this pattern of, of power, prosperity, uh, popularity, and pleasure, I'm going to instead go to God and say, God, you show me the things that are important in life. You reveal to me what you want for me. And then the last part, that you may prove or that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's guidance is clear guidance. If our will is surrendered as a living sacrifice, um, God's guidance will be clear guidance. Obscurity comes from an unsurrendered will and a life conformed to the world. Um, Here's a great thing. You can come to God and you can say, Father, here I am. I desire your will above all else. I want to do your will, so please make it clear to me. Give me your wisdom. If the thing that I've been feeling led to do is your will, make it clear as day. And here's the great thing. He'll do it. He'll make it absolutely clear. The problem is that most of the time, we don't have that attitude. We don't have the attitude like, this is where you want me. I'm not moving. This is where you want me. This is the job I have. I'm not moving, God, until you show me clearly that you want me to leave. And you're like, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Then pray and say, God, I'm willing to go. Or, here's the crazy part, I'm willing to stay here. If that's what you want, make it clear to me. And you know what will happen? He'll make it clear to you. Um, Before I married my wife, uh, I prayed a very similar prayer because I'd seen so many marriages that were a mess and so many marriages that had fallen apart. And I said, I do not want that. I want the girl that God has for me. That's what I want. And so when we started talking about getting married, there were a few different times where I was saying, God, I believe this is the girl you want for me. This is the way I'm feeling led. And I almost felt bad, like asking God, I don't want to marry the wrong person. I don't want to be in a relationship that you don't want me to be in. So you show me clearly if this is the one. And there were two different times where I had something upon my heart that I went to her and I said, hey, how do you feel about this? And she gave me the exact answer that I had. Um, in fact, the one of them um, was about getting married, the day of getting married. I, I, uh, I was feeling like September, and so, but I was having the same thing. Like, God, I don't want to pick a day. I don't want to set a day if this is not the right person. And so um, I just kept feeling September. And so I went up to her and I said, Holly, if you had a choice about when we'd get married, when would it be? And she said, well, it's not up to me. It's up to God. And I was like, oh, spiritual answer. And I said, okay, if God came to you in the form of a burning fern... And he said, this one time, I'm going to set aside my divine authority, and I'm going to let you choose, and whatever you choose will be my will, what would you choose? And she said, September. And I was like, hmm. And then I got an email from her dad the next day, and he said, have you thought about setting a date? I hear you have time off in September. And I was like, oh. Um, But things like that, over and over, um, where God just made it clear. 
But the problem is for most of us is that uh, most of our life decisions, we don't, we don't put that much, um, I don't know, emphasis on. I always said I'm getting married one time, and so it was something I was very serious about. Um, but, but when it comes to other things, you know, our job, our, our calling, our ministry, whatever, uh, we need to have that same attitude of, God, I'm not moving. I'm not moving until you tell me that it's time to go. Yes, I'm on an ark surrounded by a bunch of stinky animals for months at a time and my kids and my in-laws. Oh, my gosh. I want to get off, but I'm not. I sent out some birds. I was reading these old rabbinical studies about why Noah sent out these birds, and they're all arguing, and I, I wasn't going to share a whole lot of it because it's like nobody could agree. But they were really funny. Some of these, the things the old rabbis used to say about why Noah sent the raven out. And it was, the, and, and one, one guy speculated that there, you know, he said, a lot of people say the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but other times in the Bible, doves are called silly and so on. He said, I bet if you asked Noah, he would have said, why'd you send out the raven? He goes, because I can't stand that stinky, obnoxious, <laughs> then why'd you send out the dove? Because I liked him about this much less than the raven. But Noah says, you know, I'm not getting out. He doesn't get out until God makes it clear to him that it is. And so if you're saying, this is what I feel led to do, God, make it clear because I want to do what you want me to do. I want to do what you want me to do. If you do the first part, then you'll be able to do the third part. In other words, if you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, if you surrender your will to him and say, not my way, but your way, and you're not conformed to the world, but, by trans, uh, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says, you will know. Now that I'm a parent, I look at God in a totally different way. So let me ask this question of you parents. Parents, do you want your children to do what you want them to do? <laughs> I'll ask that again because it's kind of a strange way of saying it. Do you want your children to do what you want them to do? My children get mad at me when I don't do what they want to do. Yesterday I was studying. Navy came in, put her chin on the edge of my, my bed, on the uh, footboard of the bed. She's like, oh, I'm hungry, Daddy. There's tears and snot and drool <laughs> everywhere. I said, just a minute, we'll get you something in a few minutes. I want some food. My belly button is hungry. She says it in her own special way, though. And I said, I said, Mommy, we'll be here soon. We'll get you something to eat. She goes, I want you to give me something to eat. I said, well, you have to wait a few minutes. And then she goes, I want Mommy. <laughs> it's like, if you won't do what I want, I'll get that other lady. They want me to do what they want me to do. And that's how we as parents are. We want our children to do what we want them to to do. And it's even better if our children want to do what we want them to do. That's like, I don't know, that's like gold star parenting right there when your child comes and says, Father, all I want to do, Father, is whatever you want me to do. We would just die. We're just like. In fact, some of you are like, I'm going to pay my kid to say that when my in-laws are over. Because they're always like, oh, you shouldn't have married him. He's worth parenting, parenting, parenting. And then your child, Father, I just wish to do what you wish me to do. 
Now, as parents, we're like, yes, that, that. So here's the thing. Be the kind of child you want to have. Be the kind of child you want to have. In other words, say to your heavenly father, father, all I want to do is what you want me to do. All parents are thinking, that's the kind of kid I want. Be that kind of kid. Make his will your will, and he will show you his will. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be the ones who are um, not willing to budge from where you have us until you direct us to the the next step. Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to take the steps even when they seem strange or silly or pointless. Lord, I pray that we would be the ones that lay down our lives completely and, and quit saying, I'll, I'll do all, anything for you, Lord, but, I, but, but not that. But we would be, would be the ones who are those children that say, Father, whatever you want, that's what I want. God, we know that you've designed us, that you have uh, been preparing us our whole lives for those things you have coming next. Those ministry opportunities, those people we have the opportunity to impact. God, those talents you've given us, the ones we were born with and, and supernatural ones we, we, uh, we were given when, uh, when you came into our lives and, and, and gifts and abilities, Lord, that we have not yet seen um, that are, are yet to come in our lives that, um, that will appear when we just step out in obedience. Lord, we want to thank you that you are a God who knows and loves us and has a plan for us. And I know so many people have a hard time with, with that, whole, that whole idea that you have a plan just because they don't see it. And I know a lot of them, they're just not submitted to it, or else they would. Lord, I thank you that your word is true and that you've given us such a simple little formula for knowing your will, that if we would just offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, if we would keep from being conformed to the world, and that we would have our minds transformed, that we would come to you and say, Lord, give me wisdom. I need to think like you think. I need to know what you need me to know. I need to make the right decisions. I need to be led by your spirit. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't uh, push you aside when we hear your, when we hear your voice, uh, that, that unction in our heart saying, give this to that person, go share this with this friend, whatever it is, that we would be willing to take that little step. Lord, I want to thank you for that uh, friend of Holly's parents who, um, who was obedient. And um, because of that little bit of obedience, drastically changed my life. Lord, so I pray that uh, you would bless people today. I know that there's, there's people here today that have big decisions uh, coming up or feel like they're being led to do something different. And so, Lord, I pray that they'd be encouraged by your word today, that they would examine their lives and see where, where their focus in their heart is when they're laying in bed at night or when they have time alone or when, they're, uh, when they have some extra money. What do they spend it on? What do they think about? What's their, what's their heart's desire? Lord, I pray that their heart's desire would be your heart's desire. That they would be the child who says, Father, all I want is what you want, so show me what you want. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you.